Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 59. On this episode, I have Glenn Birnbaum, a CPA with Heinhold Banhort, and we're going to discuss some of the major changes that we've seen, uh, that he's seen in in the tax code for 2018. So, Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Casey, and good morning. Uh, glad to be with you. Great. Well, thanks for being on. I also have Gina Nargis here with me, and she's going to uh, bring a high level of questions to the to the podcast here. So welcome to the show, Gina. Thanks. Well, Glenn, let's get started here. So there's been some pretty major changes to the uh, overall tax code here for going into 2018. So why don't you give us like a 50,000-foot view of what you're seeing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely some, some very significant changes, Casey. Um, one of the bigger ones is depreciation rules have been expanded, so there's a lot more opportunity to write off uh, you know, cap, capital expenditures in the first year, so that, that's a big issue. Um, tax rates are lower. They're going to be lower in 2018. Uh, tax brackets going to be wider, so basically you, know, you can have the same amount of income and you're going to pay less tax just because of the tax rates and tax brackets. Um, there's this new which I know that there's been a lot of press about this Section 199 deduction, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, but that that gives some more benefits, um, very significant benefits potentially to, to certain grain uh, producers and, and other people that sell to a co-op. Um, also, uh, the estate tax uh, exemptions have been widened, so people will pay less estate tax, uh, you know, farmers that own a lot of land. So those are some of the main um, main provisions that are changing for 18. All right. So 179 has been in the news quite a bit when you look at uh, from the ag, ag uh, publications. Yeah. How, how the changes in that are going to affect not only maybe the, the producer, but as well as dealerships as well. Sure. So Section 179 is just an, the ability to write off um, you know, a tractor or a combine in the first year. In 2017, you could write off about a half million dollars, uh, technically 510000 2018, it's going to be a million dollars. So just gives you a lot more ability to, to write off um, equipment in the first year. Now, the thing with Section 179 is that it was only available to smaller businesses. So once you spent more than $2 million, um, that, that provision started to get phased out. So if you had more than $2 million of capital expenditures, you'd start to lose some of that benefit. Now that's been raised to $3 million. So it's going to really incentivize people to buy um, equipment, both used and new equipment, because you can take it uh, 179 on both used and new equipment. Awesome. Uh, did they also, I think they made some changes to the depreciation schedule of that equipment and um, kind of the useful life? Correct. That's a that's another nice benefit. Um, generally speaking, farm equipment um, had to be depreciated over seven years uh, in, in, the, in the old rules, and now they're making it uh, a, only a five-year useful life. So that, that's going to help. If you don't take the immediate write-off, you're going to still be able to write off the asset quicker. And then even there's also, it's, it gets a little complicated, but the how quickly you, the, the method that farmers use now is even better than it used to be. So bottom line, it's all really, really good for farming and, and being able to depreciate items quicker, which will generally you know reduce taxable income and, and pay less income tax. One other thing that I wanted to make sure that I stuck out to me when I was reading through the information that I've read through is how you have to report like a trade value on a machine now. Yep. It's, you report that as income, 
Yeah. And then you depreciate the full value of the machine that you're buying, correct? Correct. And that's that's one of the negatives, of which I didn't mention initially. So in the past, yeah, you didn't have to report the trade-in value as proceeds. Well, now they basically did away with that rule. So if you trade off a piece of equipment, it's like you sold it for the trade-in value, which does generate a gain. And potentially then, um, depending on how quickly you can depreciate the remaining equipment that you just bought, you may have uh, an overall income tax liability, uh, particularly, Casey, in, in certain states that may not let you write off the equipment. They may not follow some of these new bonus depreciation rules, Section 179 rules. You could get hit with income on a trade where obviously you've received no cash, but you, so you got to really be careful on that. So how would that offset? So, for example, yeah. I'm... How would I, I guess, how would I approach a customer about this? So I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to that customer about trading in a piece of equipment. And he has a, a two-year-old combine that's worth 250000 bucks, just whatever yep. hypothetical number here. Yep. And the one we're selling him is going to be uh, $350,000. So that's yep. so when you go and put that on your income statement and your depreciation schedule, you're going to depreciate to 350000 but you're going to show on your income statement a $250,000 gain. Is that correct? Is that correct? So, yeah. Okay. So as long as you can offset those two, you're fine. But if, but if for some reason your state and many states may not follow some of these um, – you know, depreciation rules where you can write off the equipment, you might get stuck with a tax liability in the end. Um, right. Okay, so that, that $250,000 deal could absolutely be, I mean, if you don't have enough to offset. So, but the $350,000 depreciation, because you're going to be able to depreciate that all 100% in the first year, correct? Correct. Yeah. So as long as you can do that. Right. Then you could offset that. But it's it's the state side that could be yeah, have some detriment to that. Is it like I know I can late. Yeah. yeah, the states been out. You write it off. So right. So some states, like when I was in Kansas, for example, I believe that was Section One Seventy Nine for them was like a twenty five thousand dollar limit or something like that. Yeah. And in that particular case, you'd be in a you'd be in trouble. Yeah. Right? Now here in Illinois, where I'm at, you know, the Illinois is gonna. We believe that they're going to follow the federal, so it shouldn't be an issue. But um, right. the other the other nice thing is that gain on that trade in. That type of income is not subject to self-employment tax, so you know a lot of farmers are self-employed. So that type of while it's income, it's actually not subject to self-employment tax. That's it's not all bad from that perspective. Okay. So, so as a dealer, is there any type of documentation that we need to make sure that we provide our customers, or is a purchase agreement with the trade-in value for the trade is that suffice okay. enough for the tax liability? Yeah, that's a good question because normally we may not even really care about what the trade-in value is if we're recording. Um, we just need to know, hey, what was the net check you wrote, you know? But now we do need to get that copy, of that invoice that shows that trade-in value because we're going to have to record that as a sale. So you'll definitely want to make sure that your customers have the complete picture, and because just looking at the checkbook won't won't give us the full full picture. So right. So like in the in the example I gave beforehand. That hundred thousand dollar trade difference between the new and the used that has no bearing anymore as far as as your tax situation goes. You're saying that how you how you allocate the trade in value, right? Like so, the trade difference to trade to that new machine was a hundred thousand dollars. So right. the three fifty for the new and two fifty for the used. Yep. In the past, the, the hundred thousand dollars is what you were actually correct. Were that was the new base that, that we could write off. Right. Yeah, just a hundred. Right. So there could be. Yeah, you may want to talk with your customers. I mean, there could be a, a certain advantage if they're real sophisticated on what that trade in is. But um, but yeah, generally, it's just something to be aware of. 
So. Okay. All right. So how is that going to play into machines that are leased? Um, what kind of changes were yeah. there that are going to um, basically affect the leasing market? So for leases, leased equipment, uh, there's really no, no significant changes. You know, on a lease, you, you make a payment and you get to deduct that payment, you know, as, as, you, as, you, pay the, as you pay it. So a lease has kind of an implicit interest in it and an implicit principle in it, and you get to write off the whole amount. Um, so there really shouldn't be any, any, any changes on a lease because it's still fully deductible, a lease payment. So... So everything there will stay the same. Yeah. So I was listening to a, uh, a news program the other day, and I can't remember which one it was now, but they were talking about the pros and cons of, of contract labor and that there's been some some changes in, in that realm that, if I remember correctly, the first 25% of the of the income as a, as a contractor was, was tax deductible. Are, are, can, you, can you explain that a little bit more in, in depth, or, or do you have – do you have some knowledge to that? You know, uh, um, the one thing, and, and we haven't really talked about it yet, is the Section 199A deduction. And I think okay. that's where this contract labor thing may come into play. So if you, if you let me maybe go down that path, I think, I think we might be able to get there. Okay. Um, the Section 199A deduction is a brand-new deduction for 2018. And the, what I'll call the regular deduction is – Basically, if I'm if I'm in a business and I make a hundred thousand dollars, I would only pay tax on eighty thousand dollars of income. So I get a, I get a free twenty percent deduction. I don't have to pay any money out. It's just it's just a way to really lower the tax rate. But they actually do it in the way that I get this deduction. Okay, so there's a lot of complications around this, but one of them is once you get over certain income limits, you have to have a certain level of wages in order to get this deduction. So in that $20,000 example, I might have to have $40,000 of wages. And, and again, this, this is a very simplified analysis here. But So in certain circumstances, you may want to have wages as opposed to be paying somebody on an independent contractor basis in order to get this new 199A deduction. Um, the thing, though, to keep in mind, though, is that, you know, whether somebody's an employee or an independent contractor is really more of a legal question. And you, you, you're at risk. You know, you look at the facts. Or do I control their schedule? A lot of other factors. So you, it's not necessarily that you can just move somebody around to get to get the tax benefit you want. You, you've got some legal exposure if you're if you're trying to gain the system just for tax reasons. So is that kind of where you're, where you're going yeah. back this year? Because that was when I when I was listening to the news broadcast, that, that was kind of the point they were getting to. You know, they didn't obviously talk about the about the tax deduction you're you're um, talking about there, but it was it's a way to get around paying twenty five percent of your taxes. Basically, is what it was kind of getting at. And it, but there were a lot of yeah, it's it's very complicated because if your income is under a certain level, um, if you're married and your and your income is under three hundred fifteen thousand. You don't have to worry about those wage limitations. So, so again, a lot of this is you got to definitely talk to a tax advisor on, on these issues. But I'm I'm just trying to give the you know the big picture perspective on it. Right. So, what would be the benefit to have, of an employer, like say a a farmer or a, a rancher or something like that, going down this contract labor path? You know, I mean, again, I'm more thinking it's you would want to have wages as opposed to contract labor, just strictly for this one nine nine a. So, because okay. you, you at some at a certain income level, you need to have wages, and if you're self-employed, you, you can't pay yourself wages. So that's why 
that's why you may, you know, again, all of the things equal, there's a lot of other factors, but that you would need wages in order to fully maximize this deduction. Okay, so moving on kind of on the same su subject of Section 199A, um, where do you, what are you hearing in the marketplace? There's a lot, I mean, that was kind of the biggest um, probably drama piece oh, yeah. to the to the tax bill. Um, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of um, policymakers and a lot of people in Washington DC that are pretty upset about that part of the farming aspect of farmers selling to a co-op versus a privately owned company. Can you touch on yeah. that a little bit? And if you see yep. I mean there's some people that think it's gonna get repealed and maybe it will, maybe it won't, but um, yep. kind of talk about what is going yeah. on there. Yeah, let's let's start just kind of high level. Um, I did notice today there was a Wall Street Journal editorial about this 199A, so it continues to get a lot of a lot of national press. But what I talked about just a few minutes ago, I'm going to call like the regular 199A. That's where I get a 20% deduction on my net income. So it's my gross sales minus expenses. You know, if I made $100,000 net, I'd only pay tax on 80. That's what I'm calling regular 199A. So now we have what I'm going to call the turbocharged 199A, which is basically if I sell my grain to a cooperative, so I'm a farmer and I sell my grain to a cooperative, I get a 20% deduction, but lo and behold, it's 20% of my gross sales. So not my net income, it's my gross sales. And so it's a very, very big difference. Um, basically, I get it, you know, if I don't make 20% margins on my sales, then I'm not really going to be able to fully benefit from this, right? So if I only make 10% margin on my sales, I, hey, I get a 20% deduction. I can't use it on my farm income, but I could use it on other off-farm income. And that's why you're seeing a lot of stories about, you know, doctors, other high-income people, you know, hey, maybe, maybe they should invest in a farm. So everyone says it's an unintended consequence because it's obviously a very big issue. Um, for the private grain elevators, you know, so if I sell to a private grain elevator, just to make this very, very clear, I would just get my normal 20% of net profit, the regular 199A. And again, if I sell to a co-op, it's the turbocharged 199A, 20% of gross sales. So everyone says it's unintended. Um, everyone says, yeah, we need to fix this or not, not everyone. I shouldn't say everyone. Most people, I think, say it should be fixed, but it hasn't been fixed yet. You know, it's March 1st today. Um, and it's, I think it's going to be a real challenge to, to craft the bill in our current political environment to, to get it fixed. Um, but yeah, would, I'm hearing a lot. Agree. I would yeah. agree. I think it's going to be a, a big hill to climb to get that, that part changed. Um, and I'm on the farmer side too, so I totally understand, um, you know, it, this tax bill was really kind of a home home run for farmers, um, except yeah. for this 199A. And I don't think necessarily with some of the other benefits, it's maybe not going to change a lot of guys' perception as to what they're doing with their green. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of reasons why guys sell at a private company or a private yep. or a co-op, yep. you know, and they, they do it because it's a decision and a part of their business that they choose. Right. But yeah, I think everyone thought this would be fixed by now, you know, because obviously, you know, prices have come up somewhat here. And so more people are, I think, pricing, pricing corn and, you know, hey, should I do it in a co-op or should I do it in a private elevator? And it's, it's a tough decision. It really does depend on what other income you have. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors. Um, it's hard to, to know exactly the per bushel amount, but it's, it's you know, 20% of your gross income is a big deal, right? So. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> 
so with the customers that you're that you're working with and your clients that you have, mm-hmm. how are you advising them to kind of wade through yeah. the various scenarios that we've talked about here? I've got you know, I've got some that are, you know, right on top of a co-op and you know they're they're real close, so they're not changing. Uh, most of them are just kind of we're hoping that we're gonna know more by the end of March. So I don't I don't know of anyone that is actually changed anything yet because you know but every day that goes by you start wondering should i should i now settle a co-op because you just you just don't know um i don't have any co-op grain elevators myself we do have a a couple actual private grain elevators and and i talked to a few of them early in january and and they definitely um you know they were getting calls some of them to say hey what's it gonna what would it cost for me to pull my grain out of your facility you know what would the handling charge be? I don't know if that actually happened, but people were people were looking into that. So I'm telling my people to sit tight, but I've been telling them that for a month or two months now. And, and at some point, you know, you start wondering maybe we do need to make a change. So if if there isn't a change, if we're not able to make a change um, to the actual tax law, do you see a lot of private companies looking to become a cooperative? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that they're they're exploring setting up a cooperative themselves. Um, or the other thing I heard is you know working a deal with a cooperative out of the market, out of the you know immediate market to just run all the sales through them. Obviously, there'd be a charge for that, but it may may not be too bad. Um, but I definitely think it's impacting um, where grain is being sold right now. So. The other thing is, you know, we're—I mean, I'm here in Peoria, Illinois. Here, you know, the ADM's got a got a big, big presence in Peoria, and I assume ADM and Bungie and some of those are looking to set up potentially their own co-ops too. But I, you know, they're public companies; they've got to answer their stockholders, and I just wonder how they're how they're viewing this. And I've got to assume they're putting a lot of you know a lot of lobby pressure on on the situation. But again, it, nothing's nothing's happened yet, so pretty amazing, really. Yep. So if I am a uh... If I'm one of your clients and I come in and I want to buy a, I'm weighing the options of buying a, a new piece of equipment, mm-hmm. how are you going to direct them and, and kind of what is your, going to be your angle as far as taking advantage of these of these new tax codes? You know, we always talk about, you know, hey, you, you generally, you know, don't buy a piece of equipment just for the tax benefits, but obviously you don't want to, you know, um, miss a benefit if you can get it too. So um, what we typically do is try to make sure we can fully use that depreciation. So there's some ways we, we can get into it, but there's some ways you can make sure you have enough grain sales, enough grain income to be able to offset and fully depreciate that, that tractors or that combine in year one. Um, but we, we always caution our, our, our farm clients to look at, you know, what is, what are the payments going to be? You know, you got to make the payments on this, on this loan in the future. So if you take the full tax deduction, tax depreciation deduction in year one, that's great. But then, you know, for the next five years, you've got to pay that cash out and, and there's no tax benefit anymore. So we just really try to make sure we look at it from a cash flow perspective, not strictly from a taxable income perspective. So from a cash flow perspective, how, how much, I mean, because I mean, I'm obviously, if I'm a farmer or a rancher or whomever, and I can deduct $350,000 worth of income yeah. in, in, the, in any given year, yep. um, especially in the situations that we're at right now and, yep. and completely level off my tax burden. I'm going to try to do that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, when does your advice for taking that full first year depreciation or actually running out the, the five year yeah. 
depreciation schedule. I mean, when, I mean, how, how are you going to balance that cash flow yeah. conversation with your customer? You know, we always look at, you know, what's, what's the tax rate or the tax benefit that I'm saving, right? So if I take, you know, if you're talking about using that $350,000 example, so, you know, with Section 179, the nice thing is I could take a $250,000 deduction if I wanted to, or I could do the full 350, right? So let's say that's our choice, you know, 250 or 350. So there's a $100,000 difference there. And I, I want to make sure I can calculate how much extra tax am I saving for taking that extra 100000 So if I'm only saving, say, a 10 or 15% rate on that, you know, maybe that's not smart to take it in year one. So we're always looking at the tax brackets. What are the future tax brackets going to be? But it, it's a challenge, and a lot of times it's hard to turn down that, that immediate tax deduction. But we just want to make sure we know, again, how much tax am I saving. If I'm, if, if I'm you know, creating a loss, um, can I carry back that loss? And, you know, if I'm only saving 10 or 15%, probably not smart to take that deduction. I'd rather save it for the future. So... Um, kind of on the same subject lines, um, what did, did they make any changes to how you can carry forward and net operating loss? Um, there were a couple changes um, with the net operating losses. Um, generally speaking, farmers always though do get a nice what the one of the things they did is they basically said you can no longer if you lose money in 2018, you can't carry back that loss to prior years. There is an exception, though, for farmers. Farmers can still carry back that loss uh, two years. So, But a lot of what you'll see in the press is they, they, they stop that. Again, but that's just for 2018 losses. So really, farmers still get uh, the ability to carry back a loss in certain circumstances. In part of the show prep here, you sent me an article that was talking about um, how the uptick in used equipment could yeah, a, a direct correlation with the tax bill. Yep. The customers that you work with, are you pointing them in the direction of, of used equipment more than your new equipment? Um, a little bit more, and that, not, we haven't got too many calls yet. But the, the one one of the things we haven't talked about, I don't think yet, is what we talked a lot about Section One Seventy Nine, um, but but we haven't talked about what's called bonus depreciation. And bonus depreciation has been around since um, really after the. Uh, 2000, uh, the September 11th attacks, they, they wanted to, to incentivize the purchasing of new equipment. And so you could write off 30%, 50%, 100% of, of new equipment purchases, generally speaking. And over the years, it's went back and forth. Um, but for 2018, they put, they put 100% uh, bonus depreciation back in. But now for the very first time, you can use this bonus depreciation on used equipment and not just new. And so the thing, uh, Casey, on this is that with bonus depreciation, it, there's no, you know, once you go over two million or three million, it doesn't matter. You could you could be spending twenty, thirty, forty million dollars. It'd be you know the very biggest companies can use this one hundred percent bonus depreciation now on both new and used equipment. So um, presumably, people are going to look a lot closer at used equipment because now I do get I can write it fully off if I'm buying a whole lot of equipment. Um, haven't again had a whole lot of conversations with clients yet, but I do think it's going to cause. And as that article I seen, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. You know, there there is going to be, I think, some more movement on used equipment. So, how do they classify used equipment? Is it just a previous a pre-owned piece of equipment that you know someone else owned beforehand, or is it is refurbished? Like you know, for example, like uh, computers. You can buy a refurbished computer that's not new, but it's refurbished. I mean, how does that? 
court, how does that definition break out? Yeah, as long as it's new to you, basically, I, I can use this 100% bonus depreciation. So, um, so really, again, before, I mean, I remember times we were talking to farm clients and we'd say, well, I can either buy this used tractor or this new tractor. And we say, well, if you buy the new, you can do 100% bonus depreciation. You know, on the used, maybe they've already tapped out their Section 179. So it was like, you, you won't be able to write off this tractor because, you know, it's used. So it would lean more towards new. Again, that was the, the old rules. So now it's you're indifferent, really, whether it's new or used, strictly from a tax perspective. So, again, all things equal, it should cause, I think, more interest in, in used equipment. Yeah. Uh, I think it will. Just because of the situation that we're in, from a, like we were talking about earlier, cash flow. You know, you're you're looking at sixty thousand dollar combine payment or a forty thousand dollar combine payment, or you know whatever the situation might be for you. Yep. That that will play heavy yeah. into that conversation. And obviously, you got to look at the technology that's in the equipment. But you know, for certain types of equipment, maybe that the technology you know you don't need as much to be the latest and greatest. I, yeah, I definitely think it's going to encourage that the use side. So. Glenn, I think that's, that'll pretty well cover uh, the high-level view of what we what we were kind of focusing on here today. Do you have any last words you'd like to say before we shut it down? You know, the only other thing is just to mention, uh, we didn't talk about that the standard deduction um, got increased uh, up to, basically it's $24,000 for a married couple. So uh, a lot of farm clients may not I may not have itemized in the past and they probably maybe definitely won't itemize in the future. And, you know, that's where if you itemize, you can deduct your charitable donations and mortgage interest, uh, income taxes, things like that. Uh, but now with this higher standard deduction, a lot, lot less people will be itemizing. You may have seen, you know, stories in the press about that. It's, it's really going to drop the number of people that are going to be itemizing. So, so for farm clients that might be doing donations, you know, you, you then won't really get a tax benefit on a donation. So what do you do about that? I'm not going to really be able to, to benefit from donating money to a charity. Well, one thing to keep in mind, this is not a new thing, but you can directly donate grain to a charity. So say like to a church. So if you donate grain directly to a charity, you basically put it in their name. Then in effect, you, you, you will not have to, you won't have those grain sales. So you're going to get that tax deduction. Um, so it's just a, something that's a little more important now. It should have been a tool in the toolbox in the past. But again, if, if you're not going to be itemizing, and, and generally it's pretty easy to figure that out because, again, $24,000 is a number. So if you're not going to be itemizing and you do still plan on donating, consider donating grain because you will get the benefit by not reporting it as income on your tax return. So that's probably the final uh, just kind of tidbit that I'd like to leave is just consider that direct donation to a charity of grain. So, wow, there you go. You can, you can write off some cows. Yeah. Just, yeah. Throw, just throw them to your local charity. And the other thing, it saves self-employment tax too, because normally you'd sell the grain, you'd report that as income on your schedule F, you'd have to pay self-employment tax and then you'd do the cash donation. This just does it all in one fell swoop and, and you save the self-employment tax too. So, um, so that's a good, that's a good tidbit. All right. Well, man, that's all great information. Glenn, I appreciate you being on the podcast. All right. Well, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, Gina, you got anything else you want to? No, great information, Glenn. All right. Hey, thanks, Gina. Thanks, Casey. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Glenn and Gina for being on this edition. Remember, if you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. And you can find Gina at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the above. 
Okay. All right. And then you'd also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics on their from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And if you shop at Amazon, please use the Amazon click-through at movingironllc.com. It won't cost you anything, and you have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find this podcast on these platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So so until next time, this is Casey Seymour. Regina Nargis. Let's Let's go out and move some iron. Out.